welcome to Joygasm, where we chat about video games, movies, and pop culture. I'm Russ, Xbox Live, Toaster360, and absent from the studio today is Steve, Xbox Live, Stevevich. As we blast into episode 68 today, April 21st, 2018. To get the most out of Joygasm, follow us on your social media of choice and YouTube. Just do a search for Joygasm TV. In addition to iTunes and Android, you can listen to your podcast on TuneIn Radio, Stitcher, and SoundCloud.com slash Joygasm TV. Also, for exclusive access, check us out at Patreon.com slash Joygasm. And no matter which platform you use to enjoy the show, please drop us a subscription, thumbs up, or a review. It helps us build awareness, which we appreciate oh so very much. On today's episode, we have special guest Adam Fletcher here to talk about his career in the video game industry. He has had quite the prolific journey working on several AAA titles, as well as working for some of the top studios in the industry. So I, for one, am personally looking forward to hearing all about it, as I'm sure you all are as well. Adam, welcome to the show. Hello. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Would you like to start out by telling the listeners what you do and where you do it? Uh, yeah. So uh, currently, I am working at Blizzard Entertainment as a senior esports manager on Heroes of the Storm and StarCraft. That is really, really cool. We'll talk about Blizzard more later on, but I'd like to hear about where you got your start in your career. Can you give us a, a timeline detailing the, the various companies you worked at and the games that you worked on for those studios? Yeah, most definitely. I have been working in the industry for, uh, <laughs> I would say, about like 12 years or something like that um, with, the, uh, with my time in the industry. Um, I think I like, it's kind of, I have a really odd way of being able to get into it. Mm -hmm. Um, I would say that I didn't start off like in just like a game development studio or anything like that. Um, back in 2006, I had, I was kind of, you know, towards the, uh, tail end of my college career at the time. And then I ended up getting a job at GameStop, uh, in the corporate offices in the Dallas, Texas area. Uh From there, uh, I actually did a customer service job just because, I didn't want to stand while doing a job. That was my mentality. I was like, oh, I didn't want to stand anymore and I want to stand for a job. I just want to sit there and I don't mind answering phone calls or answering emails. I got there and like within two weeks, they were like, hey, you're a little overqualified for this. I don't know if you uh, should be doing this job, but we have a marketing customer service position available. So I was like, all right, sure. I'll almost definitely try it. I knew about the stores because I used to work in a store uh, as well. So I ended up doing that and for about like six months or so, uh, where I was kind of in charge of like signage that went out to stores and like making sure that if stores were missing signage, I would end up uh, getting replacements out to them and whatnot. And then I uh, ended up doing that for about six months. Uh, they then asked me if I wanted to be like a marketing assistant uh, within the marketing t- uh, team to help them out with some brand and promotional activations. Mm-hmm. Um, ended up doing that. Eventually got promoted to a marketing coordinator and uh, worked more on some like brand and promotional initiatives. One of the big initiatives that I ended up working on and kind of managing was GameStop TV, which is still in existence in all the GameStop stores. So when you go in there, they have like a, a TV setup that is actually connected online. Oh, you had a hand uh, so in that. that. That's cool. I didn't know that. Yeah. So I like I helped out a lot with like the production uh, and uh, with the production team in the Dallas area and like the talent that we had on there and coming up with like different scripts and ideas and proofing them and 
going out with the team to different shows and booking uh, interviews and all those sorts of things for content in the actual show. But I ended up uh, working on that for quite a while. And it's, it's the TV system itself is like hooked onto the internet only because stores used to have control of the TVs and now they don't mm-hmm. um, for the sake of compliance because publishers would buy space on there. They'd buy like ad space or some, or like some sort of promotional opportunity. And the idea of them, uh, a TV associate being annoyed by it, man, and turning it off would be obviously like a less of a value for a publisher wanting to actually buy some of the space. So I ended up doing that for about four, four and a half years. And then I transitioned over to a position at Gearbox Software. with, And that was just through the contacts I made at GameStop. I, I knew some of the guys at Gearbox. They're a local developer in the Dallas area. And uh, I ended up uh, hanging out with them and getting to know them and got a job as kind of like a product marketing manager. Um, I did PR and then I helped out with community as well. Um, from that end and did that for about uh, four years and worked on titles like Borderlands, Borderlands 2, all the DLCs, uh, including other titles that like Duke Nukem Forever <laughs> and Aliens, Colony Marines. Those are those are the not exactly the most non-controversial titles out there, but yeah. Um, and then I worked on like some of their mobile initiatives that they ended up doing and like the 3DS Aliens Infestation game, which is really awesome. After Gearbox, I ended up moving off to another local developer called Robot Entertainment. They're the former Ensemble Studios right. uh, guys. They worked on like Halo Wars and Age of Empires. And Robot, um, after Ensemble was closed, Robot was created from one of the um, uh, the producers, the executive producers at, the, at Ensemble. Uh, and he became president CEO, and he brought in a lot of the former guys. I'd say Ensemble actually split into like three different studios, mm-hmm. uh, but Robot was the largest of them all. And then they went on to work on Age of Empires Online and continue working on that with Microsoft. Um, and then they made their own specific IPs like Orcs Must Die, Hero Academy, which was like a mobile game uh, that they won like a bunch of like dice awards and so forth on. And I kind of worked with them while they were working on Orcs Must Die Unleashed, which was or Chained. Uh, which was um, a game that eventually uh, Tencent jumped into and kind of helped out with as well. Oh, interesting. Uh, they ended up uh, making an investment into the actual studio uh, while I was there. Did that for about almost two years, and I was uh, director of marketing there, so I ended up managing marketing, PR, and community. Uh, and then uh, I got contacted by a recruiter up in Vancouver for a studio called Black Test Studios. And at the time, I was like, I've never even heard of this studio. I don't know what it is. So I kind of ignored it. Mm-hmm. And then about like a week later, I decided just to like Google and like Black Tusk and like, like it was kind of like driving me nuts of like, why does this sound so familiar? Um, then I found out it was actually the uh, the new Gears of War studio. Awesome. That, that Microsoft uh, w- had built up because of their acquisition, the Gears of War IP from Epic Games. So uh, I contacted the recruiter back. I was like, it was for a community director uh, position. Mm-hmm. Um, I was like, holy cow, this sounds really cool. Uh, I love Gears Awards, one of my all-time favorite franchises. And you know, contacted them. They wanted, they were looking for someone to manage their community team, kind of start up their esports team, uh, and, and so on and so forth. So I ended up doing my interviews, took the gig. I, it's my first job, my first professional job outside of Dallas. And it's all the way in, and in, it's funny because it's an international job because it's technically Canada because it's in Vancouver, right. British uh-huh. Columbia. Um, I ended up taking the job, had to go through the whole visa process and everything like that. 
and uh, you know, ended up moving to Vancouver, and it's like one of the most gorgeous cities I've ever been in. It's so it's clean, isn't it? It's super clean. It's actually one of the greenest cities in the world, which <laughs> it I didn't is. realize. And they're supposed to, they're they're aiming to be like the greenest city in the world by 2020, I believe. But I ended up uh, taking the gig up there. It's like it was it was probably one of my most memorable experiences like that and like Borderlands 2 and that campaign mm-hmm. um, like working on Gears of War 4 working on Gears of War Ultimate Edition which were the two titles that I ended up uh, participating in when I was up there and my job had like evolved so much when I was there because the esports program became really really big um, I've always been a big esports person because I've always like fallen in love with like the fighting game community and I actually competed and so forth mm-hmm. and of course I always watched you know esports just online through like streaming services like Twitch. I was so, not actually aware that Gears of War had some sort of large esports presence. I know that they of course had the online multiplayer feature, but can you expand a little bit more as to just where their niche falls in that with Gears of War? Yeah, 4? it actually started it actually started with Gears 1. Um it is one of the original console esports titles. Oh wow, uh, okay. where way back in like 2005, 2006, um people were were playing the original game and um uh you know their events were always very guerrilla style or like outside of a or in a hotel ballroom and and people competing for prize pools that they would end up you know building themselves because there would be like entry fees and whatnot that would go towards the prize pots um and then on top of that what's cool is like mlg actually picked it up uh during its infancy and mlg would have their you know different events like in dallas and so forth that would actually have Gears as one of the titles that was showcased there, along with like you know Halo or um, Smash Brothers and things like that. Mm-hmm. So I ended up, you know, like it, it, the the weird part is like Gears has never had uh, from the Epic side, never had like a totally official support from the Epic side, and you know because esports was still new. I think a lot of development companies didn't weren't exactly sure like how to support these things and so on and so forth, and so. Are like the community stayed together, which was really awesome to see. That community is incredibly, incredibly like resilient and passionate about the game. Sure, that they actually stayed together even while you know Gears Three shipped, and then there was Gears Judgment, which didn't really have much of an esports scene um, internally on their end. And you know that's when MLG wasn't carrying it anymore, so they were just keeping it alive themselves with these like LAN events that they ended up creating, like hype festation and stuff like that, mm-hmm. and. Uh, it was awesome to um, kind of kickstart it back up with official. Sorry, my dog is like totally wanting to play with a really loud toy <laughs> no. in the middle of my conversation. And I've been like picking up things. <laughs> to, like, them. That's um, fine. Uh, but yeah, so I ended up kickstarting like uh, kind of like the the Gears esports scene all over again, which was really really cool. And I uh, got you know Microsoft was completely backing it. You know we got budget to to help support it. Um, the development team internally was completely supporting it as well with cool incentives and game for people that tuned in and whatnot. Um, I had the most amazing team of people working on it. It was a very small team. One one of them, uh, our, our lead esports producer, she goes by Jack Felling. Uh, she was like the uh, blood, sweat, and tears in that program that constantly pushed it to new levels. It was really, really, uh, it was an awesome team that like got to work on it while I was up there, and so I helped. You know, I, I helped manage that team and kickstart the whole entire program back up with them. And then I had a community team of one community manager that I worked with, uh, named Liam Ashley, who uh, 
came from the UK and started on the same day as me. Oh wow, which is really funny. Uh, and then and then eventually throughout the my time there, you know, I picked up additional responsibilities where I helped out with like internal studio marketing and PR and things like that um, to help coordinate with our the Xbox team down in Redmond. And then uh, I picked up the web and creative services team internally and got to manage them as well. So eventually my title changed to um, uh, communications director uh, role just because it, it wasn't just community anymore. So it was fun. I, I, I got to do it for two years. I think the reason why I essentially ended up leaving the, the position was because of the weather in Vancouver. Um, coming Rains from Texas. <laughs> oh my God. Well, it's, it, it's weird. Like the first winter wasn't so bad and everyone was like, yeah, yeah it's a pretty tame winter. And then the second one, like, I traveled and traveled and traveled for Gears 4. Yeah. Um, I did like, like probably a hundred thousand miles or something like that for Gears 4's like press campaign and all the uh, events that we ended up going to. Jeez. Um, but I think the craziest part is like, I missed all of Vancouver summer. During that, and mm. so, and that's and that's when Vancouver is like at its best. And I experienced it the summer prior, but I didn't experience it that that second summer that I was there. Mm. Um, and then we immediately rolled into a winter, and it was the worst winter the Pacific Northwest has seen in like sixty five years. <laughs> Actually, the whole entire West Coast was like rainy like crazy, and like California lost its insane droughts and stuff like that due to all the rain. Yeah, and it just made me incredibly depressed. It was essentially going from like winter to sitting inside you know interview rooms or event halls to winter like because i never got to like see the sun or anything like you were like that. So, stuck in this arctic wasteland you're like what did i sign up for over here <laughs> well it's weird because like vancouver's actually not very cold uh-huh. um i mean it's cold but it's like not cold compared to like the rest of canada it is the warmest like warmest city in canada mm-hmm. so its temperature is pretty much similar to like Seattle, where even when Seattle, when Seattle gets snow, everyone like freaks out. Yeah. They're like, what the hell do we do? Yeah. Vancouver is the same way. As soon as it gets snow, everyone freaks out. And like they have like two snow plows the whole entire city. So it's, it doesn't get like incredibly cold, but it's just like, it's a rainy, chilly weather like constantly for like five to six months. So I ended up leaving really because the weather and like just being like, slightly depressed by it sure um did you have one of those uh, lamps that you use to like like uh combat the depression i (laughs) I did buy one and i actually did stick it next to me at work Uh uh-huh and people were like super well aware that i I could not stand the weather and i think like everyone understood like hey catches up to you and like because i was never in the office or in the studio during the sunnier times like that it was it was just like really tough for me to like collect all my vitamin D, I guess. I I totally know what you're talking about. I actually, I lived in Seattle for a year working at Screen Life Games back in the day when DVD was king. And um, I had the same issue where like it rained every day and it just got to the point where I stopped using an umbrella. I just walked in the rain like everybody else because that was just what you did. You just got used to the weather. Well, that was the weird part because like the next place I moved to was San Francisco and like when it did rain there, it was like, I like called it like wussy rain. I was like, this is like nothing. And everyone was like freaking out and had umbrellas out. And I'm like, what is wrong with you guys? So uh-huh. I most definitely built up like a good tolerancy for like rain itself since I've moved. But yeah, it's a, uh, it's pretty interesting. But uh, yeah, so I ended up moving to San Francisco and I decided to like try something new in my career that I've never done before, which was business development because I've, I have a lot of contacts in the industry and I, I know I've 
been able to work on partnerships and deals and so forth in my ex- pr- prior positions uh, beforehand, but never just solely focused on that. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I took a job as a strategic partnerships manager uh, at Twitch, uh, which is really cool because I love Twitch to death. Like I, I when I did my interview at Twitch, it was I think it was um, February twenty sixth or something mm-hmm. like that uh, in the year. And I asked him, I, I was just really curious because it was with one of the engineers. I was like, is there a way that you guys can determine how many hours of Twitch I've watched in my li- in like on my account it, like throughout my lifetime? Mm-hmm. And they, they said that that poll would take a while, but he was able to, while we were talking during my interview, he was able to poll from the beginning of the year. So only like a month and 26 days. And it was like 425 hours or something mm-hmm. in that specific time is how much Twitch I watched. In a month and twenty five days, and or twenty six. That's a lot, and dude. It was insane, and I like I sat there and I was like, "Holy cow, that's just how much Twitch I really do consume." I don't have cable TV. I every day I get home from work, I immediately like open Twitch. When I'm at work, I have Twitch going. It's just like it's just a thing that I constantly watch. It's my TV. It's my entertainment. So, and so I was so I was really stoked to get you know get the opportunity to work at Twitch and try something new and. Uh, what a, a strategic, strategic partnerships manager, I'll call it SPM from now on, but what an <laughs> SPM does is um, uh, they essentially, especially on our team, we were um, managing different uh, game developers and publishers. There was uh, only like two to three other SPMs on our team who had game developers and publishers as well, and we kind of split them amongst each other. So mine were like Nintendo, Capcom, Warner Brothers, uh, Wizards of the Coast, uh, Jagex, who makes RuneScape out in the UK, um, and so on and so forth. So there was, you know, a plethora of different game developers that we ended up working with uh, and publishers that we worked with to kind of like better their Twitch experience and like see what they were looking for, and then offer them up tools and so forth that they can end up, you know, leveraging Twitch more to more on their side for their titles and everything uh, like that. It was a really cool opportunity. It's kind of a wine and dine type of opportunity as well, sure, yeah. which is which is interesting. Um, uh, so I traveled a whole lot for that. In fact, I it was it was pretty pretty excessive, like how much we did travel um, for that position because we had to do developer visits and make sure we're in tune with them and making sure that they're completely you know up to date on everything that we're working on and whatnot. Um, but it was a lot of fun. That team is freaking amazing. Those people are amazing. They're like lifelong friends, and I only did it for like <clears throat> eight or nine months. But like now, like those guys are like some of my most favorite people in the whole entire world. And they had like such a wide range of personalities. Like one of my favorite guys I loved working with, his name is um, Sean McKinnis. He's a, a former editor uh, at GameSpot, and he ended up then getting into biz dev at Amazon, and then he came down for Twitch, and like got to work closely with him. Another guy was his name was David Hoffman, who I was technically kind of working with because he used to work at 2K, but he focused more on like mobile titles. Okay, and um, and then he's at Twitch and he's 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 a an SPM. So it was actually like like being able to be uh, interacting with these guys and like at the time my boss was um, uh, his name was uh, Ernie Lee. That guy was a former influencer, like former YouTuber. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he joined when Twitch was like in its infancy. He's like one of the the, the original employees. And uh, he's n- probably one of the most well-connected guys I've ever met in my life. And he like, and then obviously like we all report into a person and that person was like Kevin Lynn, who's like one of the founders of Twitch. 
and he's like the most connected person <laughs> I've ever met in my life. And just like, but they're they're all so damn good at what they do, and they're yeah. also super passionate at what they do that it was it was just like it was uh, infectious, like what they like to be able to learn from them and everything like that. And then from there, I uh, ended up uh, seeing this position at Blizzard for a kind of like a a, a manager, like an esports manager position for uh, HGC, which is Heroes Global Championship. Um, I love Heroes of the Storm. It is like my hardcore crack cocaine right now. Uh, <laughs> it, I play a lot of it. I love watching it. I love watching esports for it. Um, and rarely Blizzard ha- would have positions up for HGC. So I was like, you know what? Like, I'm going I'm to try for it. And I contacted a uh, couple contacts that I knew at, at Blizzard ended up doing an interview. Got to meet the team. Um, they changed the position up a little bit, like when we when I was doing the interview, to like kind of um, really focus more on um, some of my strengths that I had, which was great because mm-hmm. it was awesome to see like how dynamic they were and and whatnot. And then I joined the team down here in Blizzard this past January, so I've only been here for about three months. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is by far my most favorite company I've worked for. <laughs> um, I like Gearbox Coalition were were incredibly awesome for like lifelong memories for sure. But like within the first three months, I can already say like Blizzard is by far like my most favorite company. I am the biggest Blizzard fanboy. I would not have been in this industry if it weren't for Blizzard. Warcraft Two was the game that honestly, um, that honestly like created a catalyst within me back in the mid 90s when I was growing up to make me want to join this industry. I played so much of that game that um, my, my parents were very much against uh, video games that they actually would take the Warcraft 2 CD out of the tray and just break it in half. Oh. Um, and, I would, <laughs> and I would actually like go to a Best Buy with like my best friend and save up money, buy it again, and then hide the CD. And I think they broke the, maybe like 13 or 14 copies of Warcraft 2. Like they I like I went through that many copies because I just kept disobeying them. And eventually they ended up, you know, like taking away my PC and putting it in like a downstairs area. So I I woke up at like 2 a.m. and then would play games and then they would wake up in the middle of the night and then I would freak out and literally unplug the computer just to shut everything down really quickly and like hide behind couches and stuff like that to make sure that they didn't see me until they went back to bed. And stuff like that. It was just, it, it was, it was insane. And it's odd to think like, my parents were so against games. Now they're okay with me in the industry. And now I'm at Blizzard, which is even more weird. Uh-huh. And they're like, you know, they're they're incredibly proud, and they're always been supportive. Um, so it's it's cool to see like like things evolve and things change and people's perceptions, and especially amongst my family, change about what video games are. But but yeah, so I've been at um, Blizzard since January working on um, Heroes and StarCraft esports. And uh, those teams are freaking fantastic. And the company is so um, so behind esports, which is what I really, really enjoy. So yeah. Yeah, yeah. Now, we'll definitely get more into Blizzard in a bit. I do have um, a couple of questions regarding Twitch and the, just the, the audience itself. Twitch itself, yeah. um, I'm really fascinated with their platform because they, I feel like they, they really hit on something special that has been materializing for years now. And they've 
at least in my estimation, they've done a really solid job of acting as like kind of like the central aggregation hub, if you will, that just, I don't know, it, it just plays really nicely with gamers who want to broadcast what games they're playing, but also with the different, like you said, the different developers, publishers, that sort of thing. And it's, I don't know, I, I really do see how they've they've been able to amass just different types like what you what you mentioned different types of personalities different types of backgrounds that all kind of revolve around this kind of living organic communications platform if you will and i guess i guess the question that i have for you regarding that is do you notice that there's a difference between the the different esports audiences. Like if someone's playing Gears of War four, for instance, versus someone else who's uh, like into Starcraft or wh- whatever it is. Do you notice that there is a, a distinct kind of persona with each one of those audiences, or are is it just kind of like this one big unified, uh, like rabid interest in just all things gaming and broadcasting? I think it's kind of both. I mean, I would say like. There is everyone always has a rabid interest in, in esports and whatnot. If you are involved in esports, everyone wants the best of esports and yeah. the best like the best for esports in the end. Like it's actually cool because you can you can sit there. Like I remember, CS, like CS:GO has had a few different tournaments where um, uh, specifically, like when they did their, I think it was um, their their stuff on like TBS that they also stream. I forget what it's called, uh, but they they end up hitting over a, a million concurrence and everything, mm-hmm. um, which is huge. It's insane. A million concurrence on Twitch like has only happened twice, and they've been both for CS:GO tournaments and both the same tournament, but year after year. And I think what's great about it is that I follow a lot of esports people and know a lot of esports people, and they may not be interested in CS:GO, and I've never seen them talk about CS:GO. But they're all there to rally behind the idea that esports will be successful based right. off of more exposure to this and more more people tuning in for it and everything. And I think that's the the that that covers off in like one of the things you mentioned in regards to like the different audiences. They most definitely have different audiences. You know, it's um, and different people that actually you know play them. Like you, I I can tell you that like the same person that is really into StarCraft may not totally be into you know Gears of War itself. Or the same person who's really into, you know, League of Legends is not going to be completely into something like maybe Fortnite, you know, if uh, with like esports or whatnot. Mm-hmm. And so it's more of um, it depends on like where those those communities kind of originate or where they kind of grow. Like I think when you look at something like Gears, Gears has always been uh, it, it, like a large concentration of the players are from like the northeast of, uh, section of the United States. I mean, they're spread around everywhere, but uh, like there is a very large concentration of players there, and that the the biggest reason why is because a lot of the original land tournaments were held up in the Northeast uh, U.S. and the guy who ran them lived in the Northeast, and so it was just really easy for him to like find venues and find locations and negotiate with different venues in those areas, and people were able to locally travel there via car as opposed to like flying by plane, you know, back then when. You know, it was they were much younger, and it was harder for them to 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 get money to travel. And so it's kind of like it's interesting to see. Like, yes, it is a worldwide esport, but like you'll find that the audiences are like totally different depending on 
you know, where the stuff originates from. And with online games, it's a little bit more difficult. It will originate it, like everywhere is really good. But if a if a specific region really excels in terms of their quality of gameplay and how well they are, that's when you'll start to see like, okay, they start branching off. More people start jumping on it. Like Street Fighter is a great example. Like Street Fighter started in the arcades, mm-hmm. um, and you know, Japanese players, you know, like since they're putting money on the line back then. And they still were like with Street Fighter Four, with like the because those had cabinets. They preferred to play with actual money, despite going home and playing on console, because there's so much more at stake right then. Yeah. And so it's like I should push and try harder to do so. Well, in the U.S., we had like almost none. There was like maybe 15 total Street Fighter Five arcade cabinet or Street Fighter Four arcade cabinets around the U.S. And so everyone just played on console. And then you would always find that the players in uh, like Japan would end up just dominating every single major tournament because they put so much more on the line that it, they, it means so much more to them. And that's what happened with all the prior Street Fighter titles. Japan always dominated in that type of way. Mm-hmm. And then you look at something like uh, Street Fighter V now, which really doesn't have any arcade cabinets and everyone's playing from home on consoles. And the, the, the playing field is so much more level. Yeah. Like it, It's like you, we, we've had Evo champions recently on Street Fighter um, that are, you know, not from Japan. We've had, in fact, like the Capcom Pro Tour, which like finished, uh, you know, it, it's had multiple years, but like over the past couple of years, with the exception of this one, like, or actually, no, even this one. In this one, they had a guy from the Dominican Republic who won. And then the prior year, they had a guy from the US that won. So it just shows you like that, that it depends on, it, there's so many different factors of where the audience really like is going to be concentrating and excels in. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, everyone who likes esports always wants the best for esports um, because it's just, it's still growing as we speak. And the esports itself, like it's, how many years would you say esports has actually been around? I know that Blizzard has been with esports for a long time. Would you say like 10 years? Uh, a little bit longer than that, I would say. Um, about like 15 years, you, you like, cause you have to remember that there used to be like LAN events with like Quake and Unreal and things like right. that. And right. Those are still technically esports. Like people were coming out to watch that, to watch those players, like win those tournaments and everything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's like a, it, the industry itself is like 10 to 15 years, but it didn't really start skyrocketing until the advent of streaming services which exposed it to much larger audiences yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, with that that's when you're and even like even like content creators and influencers out there who do like let's plays and stuff like that that it just kind of helped drive this audience of people that really enjoy watching gameplay and watching good gameplay and so it's like that's where the big boom kind of really occurred is you know probably like 2010 2011 and so and uh, and it's been skyrocketing since. Very cool. Now, going back to the games that you worked on, which games are you most proud of that you have worked on? Like the two most proud I'm uh, that I've worked on is by, number one is Borderlands Two. Uh-huh. Um, it's it was that was just incredibly fun. The team was awesome. Uh, working with the devs there, the game had so much personality and humor that. I loved to death. Like the writer on that was uh, Anthony Birch uh, and Mikey Newman, and those two guys. Um, they were 
incredible with what they ended up doing. And then like the creative direction behind it, uh, it was with like Paul Helquist, who's like the former uh, lead designer on Bioshock. And uh, like he knew exactly what he wanted to go for and what he was aiming to do. It was just so, so much fun. In regards to uh, like a close second is by far Gears of War 4. That team put so much, it, that team had so much to prove. Yeah, because it is it is the first Gears game that is um, technically under Microsoft's umbrella completely. Like it's not the first Gears game that's not done by Epic because technically People Can Fly worked on Gears Judgment and it didn't have the greatest reception out there. But um, it was it was it was a lot to prove to a community that was like, okay, now you're making a game that's like actually in, at part of the main series. It's Gears of War 4. It's not Gears of War Uprising or something like that. It's, <laughs> it, is, it is part of the, the, the main uh, storyline itself. And so um, having to have new lead characters and you know a new face on the cover and stuff like that, that it, there's so much you have to overcome to get to that point. And Absolutely. the strategy that like Rod Ferguson, who's the studio head, who is a great friend of mine, loving to death. Um, the strategy was to, you know, it, it's it's cr- crawl, walk, run, and we even did that for our esports program. Was crawl, walk, run, come out crawling, show them that you guys like you can do it, and like don't don't overstep your bounds. And then once you prove that, you can start really start you know taking some risks and so forth involved. So. It's like that type of philosophy and that that uh, that idea was actually really cool. And then they even use Ultimate Edition. They made Gears of War Ultimate Edition as well, which was the remaster version of Gear uh, Gears One. Uh, they made that the the year or two prior because they wanted to like showcase to everyone, and they used it as a tool of like familiarizing the whole entire studio with Gears of War. Mm-hmm. And it was you know. That was also fantastic. They did a great job on Ultimate Edition. I got to work on that as well. So it was like, it's just uh, like I think they they had so much to prove. They nailed it. They did a great job, and they're now like one of the big flagship studios at Microsoft with like three four three and Turn Ten and Rare and so forth. The Coalition is a uh, which they by the way they used to be called Black Tusk and then they changed the Coalition because they wanted to name themselves more closely to the Gears franchise. Uh, but they uh, uh, they are now one of the, the flagship studios, which is really cool to see. Well, and it means a lot just because obviously they took a risk. I think that with uh, the, the original Gears of War trilogy, you had Cliffy B, who was um, very obviously a big part of the Gear of War, Gears of War trilogy that came out and, and just with the different mechanics that he introduced into the game. And seeing how they wanted to continue the series, which I personally was really excited about. I'm a, I'm also a really just big Gears of War fan. but And I was curious, okay, are they going to continue with the same characters? Are they going to introduce new characters? And I liked how they, they approached it the way they did with having these new characters come in, but then not completely forget about Marcus Phoenix and the rest of them. Like have them actually come back into the exposition and the story and that, that sort of thing. And um I'm very curious to see where they, they go from here just because they, I, I gotta say <laughs> the, the final kind of battle sequence. And I apologize to those who are listening who haven't played gears of war, but the, just the ending where 
they're they're piloting something that is extremely satisfying. Um, that was was seriously just a. I don't know how that came about. Who who thought of that idea? But I would I definitely want to see more of that. It's very much within the. Uh, I guess you could call it the appropriateness of what what you would expect from the world of Gears of War. So I'm I'm definitely thankful that they were able to go the direction that they went, take the chances that they did. And ultimately I just want to see, obviously I hope that they're going to have a Gears of War five that, that are in the works here. So, yeah, I think it's like, I completely agree. Like the, with the craziness of the Gears of War franchise and being able to, um, like have that, those over the top moments and so forth is really cool. And, uh, I'm excited too to see like where the franchise goes itself. Like I can't wait to see what those guys are working on. It's so funny. I, I want to take like a trip up to Vancouver and like just go visit the guys and like see them and and like I know they won't tell me everything now, but it's it's more <laughs> of like it's more of like just see everyone and see like you know like because it's such a talented group of people that are up there and um, it's I'm excited to see what's what's to come, especially because uh, I won't spoil anything, but like. The way that Gears Four ends, mm-hmm. like, leaves so many questions up in the air, and oh, yeah. it, it's it's like a complete twist. And so, uh, and it just goes to black and goes to like credits, and you're like, "What the hell just happened?" Uh-huh. It's uh, I so it, that's what makes me super excited about um, uh, like where the franchise will end up going here in the future. Now, going back to just your career itself. What advice do you have for people starting out in, in your field specifically? Because you've, I mean, you've really been able to work at a lot of highly sought after studios. And I know that obviously, I mean, that's kind of like the classic question, right? When you have folks who are a bit younger, who are just getting out of school, they're looking to see if they can try and break in. What advice do you have for those folks? Um, yeah, like never, never give up or like just feel down about failure in specific moments. You know, there was times where I like I would sit there and go like, "This is impossible to obtain. I'll never be able to do it." Or the the requirements on a job are far too high for me and everything, just because they'll state that they need, you know, four to five years of whatever experience and everything. Mm-hmm. But in the end, that's that's more of to deter like just the people that are like that have absolutely no relevant experience or relevant experience or any type of passion from applying. In the end, like you should just always try to go for whatever you think you can do and, you know, and prove it like and, and showcase your talents and showcase what you can end up doing. Like I will say that um, if I went in with the mentality of and I kept the mentality of like, oh, just give up, it'll never work out. I would not be working at Blizzard because I will tell you, like back when I was at Gearbox, like towards my like talent, like last few months at, at Gearbox, I did apply to Blizzard and I did go through a mul- like, you know, multiple interviews and so forth. And it, it took a while and it didn't work out. And, you know, I felt really down about it. I was sitting there going like, oh man, I'm like, I, there's no way I'm ever going to get a job at Blizzard because, you know, I didn't make it that one time. But if I, if I had that same mentality throughout all these years, I obviously wouldn't be where I am at right now, which is still at Blizzard. So, or is at Blizzard now. So, um, I think that's like one of the biggest things that I've, I've like, whenever I talk to people, whether they're at like, meetups and so forth for like game developers to like help you know introduce themselves to like new people and everything within the industry or like GDCs or PAXs even and so forth is that everyone always comes in with that mentality of like oh you know what I'm probably 
not good enough to do this or I was going to think about I was thinking about applying there but I chose not to because of xxx you know mm-hmm. and it's like don't don't look at it that way just do it and go in with the expectation that some things may not work out but you never know and um the other thing is like this industry is very much built off of connections and I used to be I still am. I like. There's weekends where I'm like the biggest introvert in the world, where I will sit inside <laughs> my corner and just I want everyone to leave me alone, and I'm gonna sit there and watch Twitch all day and be a couch potato. Um, but I think the biggest thing that most people um, don't realize is that you should go out and network with as many people as possible, get to know those connections, make friends with those people. Um, because those people will be the kickstart or the help that may end up, you know, pushing you over the line for mm-hmm. specific uh, opportunities that are available. Like me working at Blizzard, I thankfully knew some really um, great people here that worked in esports, along with you know a ton of people that worked at Blizzard. Um, it was weird. Like when I when I actually started the job, everyone was like, "Oh, you're Adam." Like I've heard so much about you, or I've heard so much <laughs> like. Someone else was talking about you, and it was like someone in like a completely different department. And I was like, "What the heck?" It, w- it was so weird. Like, and I and it's I I probably when I joined Blizzard, I knew like sixty people, like on a personal basis. Like seriously, sixty people immediately. Yeah, immediately. Just like even before I started, just because I knew so many people within the studio, because you know I've hung out with them, I've made friends with them, I've connected with them in some sort of way, uh, just because we may be doing like something similar in the industry and it's great to be able to bounce ideas off people or just have drinks with them at events and things like that. And so it, I, I really think like that's a huge, a huge thing that people always forget about. And like in the game industry, we're all kind of introverts. We're all, we all like playing games and not being social at times. And, you know, but there's times when you just got to really go out there and, and, and get to know people mm-hmm. and push yourself, like push those limits because you never know when those people may be able to help you out and get you over a specific finish line. And um, what's great about it is, well, I've made some of the best, like my best friends doing that. And now I talk to them on a regular basis. I like hang out with them all the time. I have friends in every single city. So I, like, if I visit a specific city, I know I can like reach out to like a handful of people and go like, hey, I'm in town this weekend. Let's hang out. And they'll always be there to hang out. And I think that's the... Like, it, it there's more benefits than than just the job. It also helps, like, just socially being able to know additional people and like being able to hang out with additional people. So that's kind of like the two biggest things I would say. Yeah, I mean, and that acts as really the sweet spot in terms of just when you like what you just mentioned. If you go to a, a particular city and you already have contacts that are there. I mean, that, that already is just rewarding unto itself, regardless of, of just which company you work for. Just being able to get together, catch up, be able to share different types of stories regarding your gaming adventures and that sort of thing. I mean, I think that especially someone in, in your position where communications is largely the kind of the meat and potatoes of, of what it is that you do. I mean, I think that that's kind of one of the the side benefits really is being able to cultivate those relationships and then build upon that into something that turns into meaningful friendships. I think that that's, that's, that's terrific, honestly. Yeah. And it's, um, exactly what you said. It's, it's just those, 
like I do a lot of communication, so I, I needed to get into this fold of like not being so scared of like approaching people and talking to people. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I will tell you, like I've been doing this for now for you know twelve years. There are moments where I'm like hesitant about reaching out to someone, but then I always have to like kind of remind myself, like, hey, in the end, it'll just benefit whatever I'm working on or whatever I'm doing or even myself um, to, to make that, that or to extend that olive branch out there and kind of reach out and figure out what I can end up doing. Sure. Now, do you have any mentors? Uh, I do. I, I, I most definitely ping uh, a few specific people uh, constantly uh, just for advice or questions on, on uh, specific things. Um, and I kind of like, I would say like I have a, I feel like I have a mentor in every every place that I've worked at, at least one of them, like I'll have one one uh, one specific person. In some places, I'll have multiple, um, and it, it varies. Like I'll reach out to them for like a specific question, to advice on specific things, or more information about something I'm working on that they may know more about. Um, so I, I it's uh, I guess I have a lot of mentors just because I've worked at hey, a lot. Hey, that's of good. Like for Gearbox, my mentor Steve Gibson. Steve has been my was my boss the the whole time I was there. He had a really crazy way of getting into the industry too. He used to own and run ShackNews.com, uh, which is uh, obviously a big gaming site and was a, a a really really big gaming site in the past. Uh, he ended up um, uh, selling it to GameFly. Uh, after he sold it to GameFly, he didn't want to be bored at home, and then he ended up taking a. <laughs> A position at uh, Gearbox, where he ended up becoming like a, a director of like marketing and PR on that end, and his his contacts and his his business sense because he used to own his own business and he ran into so many different situations and his negotiation and his biz dev like like prowess was so good that I constantly ping him on specific things and it's great because he pings me on specific things as well so it's like we 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 like he actually he and I just texted each other like a couple days ago uh, about like to, to ask about like uh, like specific advice on on uh, like a role that he was like trying to build up or something like that on his because mm-hmm. he's now like managing their publishing stuff so it's like it's it's uh, he's probably one of my best friends always hung out with them. Uh, and his his wife and his kid are amazing as well, um, and we are always super transparent with each other, which was great. Um, at Robot, it's Patrick Hudson who's the CEO. He uh, uh, like I actually was back in town in Dallas um, during the holidays to see my family. I made sure to take uh, some time to have dinner with him, uh, and you know just chat it with him and and keep in contact. He and I uh, always pinged each other, and we always like. Um, uh, bounce different ideas or like, Hey, I'm interviewing a guy. You may know this person. Do you know this person type of thing? Uh, so we, we always, uh, uh, keep up with each other. The coalition. Um, I actually have a couple, uh, Rod Ferguson who's the studio head. One of my best friends, greatest guy, super smart. One of the funniest guys in the world. He and I make some of the dumbest jokes together, and we we we, and we troll each other online, which is why I love. Um, nice. But at the same time, we know exactly when to get serious and be serious with each other. And then the other person is actually someone that worked on my team, and I technically was their manager, but we always looked at each other like eye to eye. Um, and she she. Was the lead producer on our senior producer on our um, 
our, for our web and creative services team. And her name is uh, Carolina Smith. She is phenomenal. One of the best people I've ever worked with. And the reason why I, I kind of describe her as like a, a mentor is because she's also super experienced in the industry, just as experienced as I am. Um, but I think she, she has like a different mentality on specific things that, um, that sometimes I don't look down towards. Like she may look down a specific path than I would normally. And so we kind of bounce a lot of different ideas from each other. And we just became really good friends based off of it. And I like the fact that I like, it's funny because everyone, like when you manage a team, everyone always goes like, oh, B, you're the manager. I hate the term manager. <laughs> I, I, in the end, the team is the team and we're all, we're all working on the same goals and we're all working for the same, the, the, the same success of whatever, whatever project we're, we're kind of focused on. And yeah. the idea of, oh, there's the manager. Sure. Sometimes I might have to have final say here and there. But never, never should there be an uh, like in my mind, in a, a reminder to other people that people are below me in some sort of way. We all work together on the same project. We all have the same initiatives. We all have the same goals. So, um, and I like the fact that with Carolina, her and I, we were able to just like look at each other eye to eye and understand exactly what we were going for and build out solutions to what we were doing. So, her and I like always go back and forth. Uh, most definitely, like. One of my favorite people. Twitch, uh, it's probably Ernie, who was my boss. The guy is just a genius, especially for BizDev. He is one of the nicest dudes in the world. Um, and to hear his story from the, like, and how he exploded in the industry is crazy. And then for Blizzard, like, it's, I'm still so new here, but I, I can already envision like two people being a mentor for me. Um, one, obviously, my manager, Sam, Sam Braithway, who's amazing. He's a, uh, probably one of the best, most passionate guys I've ever met. Uh, and like literally like will, if he, if, if you had a friend that was never introduced to esports, like just lock him in a room with Sam for five minutes. I swear to God, that person will become the biggest esports fan. <laughs> it's crazy. Like Sam is awesome. Um, and the other one is Kim, Kim fan who, uh, uh, is the, uh, director of esports operations. I've known her for a little while now. And, um, I know that her and I like have this great ability of being able to um, uh, just like talk to each other in a very transparent manner, and uh, you know I've gone to her for like specific questions and everything like that even before I started working at Blizzard, um, and she is she's awesome. She's she's like a legend in the industry in regards to esports. She is like most definitely a groundbreaker, and um, like couldn't be more happy of like where she is right now. Um, in the industry and within Blizzard. Now, did she get her start with esports while working at Blizzard, or was she working in the esports area with a, a different company beforehand? Um, she was working in esports uh, beforehand, but not with a different company. She was just doing it out of sheer passion because esports was so new at the time, and gotcha. she was like running tournaments and commentating Warcraft three tournaments and stuff like that. And she just had she was freaking awesome at it and like and esports was you know obviously becoming something more that blizzard was wanting to focus on and that's how she ended up getting her her um uh, her job in the industry she actually she actually did a speech in front of a, a crowd for um uh, a panel of some sort that i think blizzard ended up recording i think it's on like one of their 
career YouTube pages or something like that. But it has a, it's like a 20 minute type of panel where she kind of goes over her career and everything. And it's honestly like one of the most inspiring things I've ever watched. In fact, the first time I saw it, I actually immediately messaged her and was like, holy cow, this is so incredibly ins- like inspiring Like to see her where she started and where she is now. Mm-hmm. Um, and the growth and everything, like, and how much she cared about it and how much she pushed herself through it. It was awesome. It was really great. All right. I'm going to open up the floodgates and okay. we're going to dive into what is it like to work for Blizzard? Oh, uh, it is. It's really awesome. My first day there was actually really cool because, uh, or first day there is always orientation. So you're kind of locked into this room and you have to like go over, you know, Hey, this is what like your healthcare benefits are and all that <laughs> other stuff. So it's kind of like, all right, that's a little like so- somewhat boring at, uh, for for those specific topics. But um, what's cool is that they encourage so much. Like they they really strive to like reach out to everyone's inner like geekdom. Like they one of the the biggest thing. Everyone the the term is everyone bleeds blue, Blizzard blue, and they have some um, specific Blizzard. Uh, values that they uh, kind of follow and everything um, that I really, really relate to um, in each like of the places that I've worked at and understand completely. And they're so focused on those values that it's refreshing that the whole studio and the, the, the whole entire company is like behind those specific things. Uh, and they actually have those eight values kind of in plaques that surround our orc statue in the courtyard. So you're always I've like constantly pictures. reminded and stuff like that of it. So it's like, I think it's like uh, commit to quality, uh, gameplay first, um, play nice, play fair, embrace your inner geek, which was something they immediately noticed uh, when we were in the orientation because they had everyone kind of like get up, introduce yourselves and talk to each other for like about 15 minutes and like just like talk about like one of your most favorite things. And it's so interesting hearing like what everyone really liked, but what was great is like some things were like really weird, but no one, but no one, uh, no one like, you know, would jump on those specific people because that's their thing. That's their inner geek. It's like, why, why would you ever do that? Like, that's awesome to hear that they're willing to open up about those specific things that they're really into. Then there's like, uh, think globally. We are obviously not just a, a uh, North American company. We have, you know, offices in Korea and Europe and so forth. Every voice matters because the community is such a huge part of Blizzard. And I love how much value that the community has, especially coming from me where I've been in positions where I've had to manage like full entire communities for franchises. It's amazing to see how much the studio and developers care about the community. Lead responsibility Obviously, like making sure we have all, you know, we're, 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 we are leading, we're leading internally and we're also leading like the industry in specific things. Uh, and then learn and grow. Like that's, that's another thing. Everyone's aspiring to grow in, in Blizzard. No one wants to be in the same spot forever. No one wants to do the same things forever. We want to learn as much as possible and learn about all the different facets. So I think that's like, like when I first started at Blizzard, just, seeing so many people attach themselves to every single one of these core values. And then at the same time, really embracing that inner, that inner geek uh, value specifically was, is really great. I mean, just yesterday we were, you know, we were done with work and then uh, one of our PR guys actually hosts like kind of a little, a, like a little whiskey night 
thing. Uh, and we just do it in like one of the, one of the buildings, like in the PR, like the publishing building, which is where PR is. And, um, people bring like, it's like a bottle chair. So everyone brings their own whiskey and we all just sit there and talk and like chat. And, and I, in a 30 minute span, I talked about things from magic, the gathering to the, the latest Hearthstone update that just came out this past week with Witchwood, um, to, WWE to hockey to blah, blah, blah. And we all just had like so many different topics that it's actually really cool to see like how, like how, like how this company just embraces it all and no one's sitting there judging you for liking a specific thing. Everyone just likes it because we, that's our, that's our inner geek. It's like they appreciate the, the, the passion that each person has towards something that, like you said, is embracing their inner geek. And it's just because they're, they're able to exercise that and communicate it and just be able to get excited about it. It sounds as though it's just, it's just one of those things that is cherished at that company. Yeah. And I would say the other, the other big thing about Blizzard is the people that work there, their personalities and just the like the way that you can like interact with them and work with them is awesome. Like I have not run into like you, there's always like those companies where you like sometimes may run into a guy that or or, a girl where you're like, "Uh, I don't know if I'm going to be able to work well with this person, but we'll see, like we'll work it out and things like that here. I like, I just love working with everyone. It's crazy. Like everyone (laughs) is just super, super awesome. Like the, like, it's it's pretty insane. I, I can't believe it because the company itself is huge. There's like three thousand people here just in Irvine. So, um, but like every single person that I've interacted with is has been has been great. I also love the weather here. Orange County is super sunny and oh, yeah. not too warm and not too hot and not too cold. Um, I really like it. Um, the area is cool. It's really safe. Irvine is an incredibly safe city, um, and uh, the Orange County area just has so much stuff to do. Like we're essentially ten to fifteen minutes away from a beach like Laguna beach for instance is 15 minutes away. And then there's like Newport and Huntington and so forth. And then we have the mountains literally on the other side and you can get to those mountains pretty quickly, like 30, 30, 30, 45 minutes or so. Vegas is three and a half hours and I'm a huge Vegas fan. And then, um, you know, Palm Springs is like two hours away. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then of course we can travel wherever we want because there's a million airports, including one like literally next to Irvine, which is, um, uh, John Wayne, so yeah, it's actually, uh, there's just like a lot of things. There's Disneyland is like a 15 minute drive away. So like nice. a bunch of people have Disney passes and they essentially have like the, the season pass for Disney, which is great. So yeah, it's, um, it's pretty crazy. I really, really enjoy it. And I like one of my best friends also works here as well. And he's actually, I, it's funny cause I didn't mention him during the mentor part, but he most definitely is like a guy that I bounce a lot of different ideas off of. And his name is Josh Kerwin. I met him when I was working on Gears of War. He's a former PR guy, and that, and then he ended up doing um, product managing at Xbox for like uh, f- six years or so. Uh, and he was working on the Gears of War franchise. And he and I literally became the best of friends just working together. And then he actually joined Blizzard uh, when I was still at Microsoft. And I was like devastated. I even drove two and a half hours to Seattle to go to his <laughs> like going away thing. I was so sad. And then he... Um, with him actually joining Blizzard, he um, I, I went to Twitch and then I ended up eventually coming down here and now we're having lunch again in person this time as opposed to him being in Seattle and me in Vancouver. And it's like, it's actually 
it's awesome. It's great. And like, we've had barbecues, we hang out and stuff like that. Um, and I bounce so many different ideas off of him and he does the same for me that I, I really appreciate, uh, what he brings, but yeah, anyways, sorry. Oh no, no, you're fine. Um, you know, going back to your employee initiation, I can't help, but like in my brain, I just, because I play the different blizzard titles for some reason, I can just see the, like these different characters walking around like, welcome to Blizzard. You know, just, just having like, oh, yeah, they like totally that old. That. Oh, they totally <laughs> uh, Yeah, they're, they're, uh, they're new employee videos and stuff like that, like really bring in the Blizzard vibe. And it's great because if you play the games, you like totally understand all the references that they bring up and stuff like that. And if you, even if you don't play all the games, like you'll understand some of the references because they spread it across all the different franchises. So, um, no, it's, um, it's a really, really awesome place to, to work and uh, like I said in the beginning, it, like I've only been here three months, but I can already like tell you that it is by far like my favorite place to work at the moment. I've heard that those that work at Blizzard for a certain amount of time will be uh, given some sort of object of appreciation based on how many years they've been at the company. Correct. So there's like these. Um, big like rewards and so forth that are kind of handed out to people who've been there for X amount of years and they have different tiers. So two years is like a cool like Blizzard Stein and it has all the characters and everything on there and it's massive, looks really awesome. It's like custom molded and so forth. Five years, you end up getting a sword and they change the swords up uh, every so many years. And then uh, you can get the sword mounted and everything if you wanted to with like a plaque in your name. But the sword itself like, um, has changed like since like when they first started giving out these awards. Where the sword actually looked pretty basic; it looked like a like a, a footman sword, sword or something like that from like the Alliance. And then uh-huh. eventually, it's been like changing and adjusting, and they'll they'll like uh, adjust it to a different type of sword depending on uh, what year and like how many they have and so forth, and how many swords they've given out. So like this year's sword is really cool because it's got like. It almost looks like hordish in a way of, uh, or like maybe a little bit more like of an elite sword where it's got like a, a small little leather wrapped uh, kind of end along with like, you know, like a lion or skull head on the the end of the, the, the bust of the sword. Um, mm-hmm. It looks really, really awesome. And then there's a few swords that I've seen that have like curved blades to them a little like curved at the tip. But yeah, it's uh, that's the five year one that 10 years they give you a shield. And then are these like legit? shields and and swords in terms of the the materials yes uh, they're like super heavy to pick up super massive and whatnot um trying to remember i can't recall like what they do for 15 or if there is a 15 one i think there is i just can't remember um but then uh, they also have 20 year ones uh and the 20 year ones like they've obviously just started like getting those out to people and whatnot uh and those are like actual crowns uh, oh, wow. And they look like they essentially look like the Lich King's crown, uh, and they come inside these really cool custom wooden chests that are like the size of a large, real like pirate treasure chest. And you open <laughs> it up, so and awesome! It's like a giant crown inside and everything, and uh, it's got like the Blizzard Entertainment stuff engraved in it and whatnot. It's really, really cool. I want it all. Uh, <laughs> oh, I think I think fifteen, I think fifteen. They give you a ring. That's it is a ring. Okay. Yeah. I'm pretty sure I might be wrong. Don't quote me on this, but yeah, I I know, I know a ring is somewhere involved in there. So yeah, I would love to be able to go to blizzard to just 
if for nothing else, just take a tour of the property because just from the pictures I've seen and from what I've heard, it just, it sounds like it's just a, a gamer's paradise in terms of just how they've decorated the place, what the, the company culture is like and so forth. It just, it sounds amazing. Well, you're my friend. So if you ever do come by, just let me know and I can give you a tour. So they Sweet. actually do allow, they do, they do allow tours to like, you know, families and friends and so forth of employees and they you know, there are certain areas you can't go in and certain areas you can, obviously, but all the areas that you can, like, there is a museum in the front lobby of Blizzard. Uh, so, like, as you go in by the reception area, there is, like, an area where, like, some of the more, like, prize-specific uh, memorabilia is, like, located. So, th- there's, like, specific props they've used in, like, TV commercials and whatnot are all kind of, like, in those areas. And then uh, in each of the buildings, because there's a ton of buildings at Blizzard, they all have kind of lobby areas, and most of them have... Uh, different statues that people have seen at BlizzCon and whatnot, like located in there. So, like the esports building, for instance, has uh, Probius, which is a probe from um, StarCraft II, along with a probe that is also in Heroes of the Storm. Uh, there's a statue of him in our area. And then we actually had an employee that uh, created a, an Abathur from, from StarCraft as well, an Abathur. Kind of like proper, like it's, it's. I mean, it looks essentially like a statue, uh, but it's wearing the skin from Heroes of the Storm, where he's wearing pajamas, and so mm-hmm. it's it's called Pajamather, and so <laughs> uh, and and that one is in the uh, the esports building. While well, like uh, like the publishing building has like Nova and uh, oh, Garrosh, and oh, not Garrosh. It's, it's got Nova. It's got um, Grom. And I believe it has Kerrigan. Yeah, mm-hmm. Kerrigan. And then there's other buildings that have like Jim Rayner. There's other buildings that have Tracer uh, and Junkrat and stuff like that and whatnot. Uh, it just all kind of varies. And obviously we have the main statue in the middle of the courtyard, which is um, the Orc Raider. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, you're, like the France office has a Kerrigan statue made out of the same type of metal and whatnot. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's, it's actually really cool. It's, it's, they're kind of spread around everywhere and every place has got their own type of vibe. Like eSports, it's like all pictures of all like champions, past champions and like WCS for StarCraft or uh, the World of Warcraft Invitationals or Heroes of the Storm and whatnot all spread out throughout the whole entire place. But yeah, it's really cool. Now, have you been to the other campuses? Like, I know you mentioned the one that was in France. Have you um, flown to these different places and checked it out in person? Uh, I went to France um, after IEM Katowice. Uh, so I went to, which we were had StarCraft and Heroes of the Storm there for Western Clash. And then we had um, IEM for StarCraft there. But we, yeah, so I ended up going to the Versailles office. So it's in Versailles, France. And I uh, got to work with the esports team there for like a day and meet with them and everything like that. And they they also have like a, a small campus and whatnot on, on their side. But it was, yeah, it was really awesome. I swear I'll, I'll wear a bib to make sure my drool doesn't get like, you know, stain any of the, the properties of <laughs> if, I, if I ever end up going there and be like, oh my gosh, you're probably going to like see me freak out and I'm going to be kind of like my eyeballs will be like, like the lids will be twitching or something. <laughs> I'll try well, it's kind of cool. It it's cool because like they do a lot to cater toward the employees. Like we have little, uh, little like micro markets in every single one of the buildings, so people can end up, you know, if they need a snack or whatnot, they can go and grab stuff from the micro market. And then we do have a giant cafe that actually has like a 
multitude of different like food options. Like there's like a grilled option where you can actually have them make a sirloin steak for you or whatever, and you can customize it and everything or burgers, et cetera, et cetera. And then they have a international option and then they have like a carved option. So like where they, where they're like carving like a pork loin along with like fresh vegetables and there's like salad bars and soups and sandwich stations and pizza and stuff like that. And it's all like really, really good food too. So, uh, and it's cheap too, which is great. They like subsidize it really well. So it doesn't require you to like have to run off and like, you know, grab, you know, an expensive like meal or something like that elsewhere. Uh, and then on top of that, we have um, a Starbucks on campus. So it's like, oh, and, wow, okay. and, and the Starbucks itself is, it's only for Blizzard employees because no, there's no way you can get to the Starbucks if you're like in the general public, for instance. Uh, so uh, there's like you can't just like park in a parking lot and walk into the Starbucks. And then uh, what's nice is that they have like they even made like the baristas there have made like custom Blizzard drinks. Um, nice. So have like cool like the Zerg Rush and things like that that they have there as well. But yeah, do they actually have like different flavors of like for the coffee itself? Like, does it have a unique flavor or is it just the same Starbucks drinks? They just change the name. It's the same Starbucks drinks, but what they do is like the blended drinks and stuff like that, they can actually become a little bit more creative with. And then that's where they like create some of the the things that are a little bit more varied and, and, uh, and, and themed to like Blizzard specific stuff, because that's when like a barista is able to like mix things together and change it up if they need to. But for like coffees and whatnot, it's still the same Starbucks coffees for sure, but, uh, they, they thankfully it's there and then at the same time they they take the artwork uh on like their chalkboards and stuff and they actually draw blizzard characters and everything on them it's actually really cool and then like at once every thursday every month we have truck rush or something like that or it's it's essentially like a food truck rush based off of zerg rush uh where um food trucks come in and they they're all parked in our parking lot and then employees can grab food truck food and stuff like that from like a very like a bunch of different places and everything like that in the Southern California area. Um, mm-hmm. And it changes every single month. Yeah. It's, it's just like, it's a, just a really cool place. Like we have a library that employees can check out books and games and so on and so forth. Uh, and there is a librarian that actually does work there. That is their job. They are the librarian for blizzard. Um, <laughs> it's yeah, we have like a, a blizzard university so people can like learn and, take classes on like different things that and signups occur every once in a while. It's just there's like outdoor beach volleyball courts. We've got outdoor like weights and uh, like an outdoor type of gym setup along with an indoor gym setup, which is open 24 hours a day. So employees can like just like drive back into work or something like that 1 a.m. if they wanted to and, and work out. But yeah, it's a it's just a it's a really cool setup and it's a, a lot of fun. Does Blizzard have some sort of program in place where if you're an artist or a designer or even a, a developer, do they kind of have an opportunity for these employees to give demonstrations, just just fun demo type of things where like you could bring your, your lunch with you into the room and they're going to showcase like a new technique or a new method of. Yeah. I think they do that through the blizzard university stuff. Like they actually create classes like uh, based off of like, Hey, do you want to learn how to like sculpt or whatnot (laughs) and things like that? And they'll actually like, you know, be there and you can sign up for the classes and everything like that, which is really, really cool. So yeah, there are like opportunities, I believe that allow that. Plus at the same time, there's so many big initiatives. Like for instance, uh, international women's day was like the, uh, other, like uh, maybe like a month ago or anything. And all the women at blizzard got to sign up and then they actually like rented out a space in like a a local hotel and had a guest speaker and like 
spent like a full day just like focusing on initiatives and everything um, uh, from their end and discussions around that. And I thought it was freaking awesome that they have like so many like diverse things for people to do. There's an LGBT group on on campus as well, and they meet up every single month and grab lunch, and they always have discussions internally about like specific topics and whatnot to, to, to better, you know, the visibility and, 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 and transparency around that. It's just incredibly inclusive. And I, there's, there seems to be something for, for everyone. There's a ton of board game groups. There's a rock climbing group, which I just recently joined because I've really gotten into indoor rock climbing because it's like really big with a lot of people at Blizzard and so on and so forth. So there's just a, yeah, there's a ton of things. It's it's pretty crazy. How would you describe your day to day tasks as a senior esports manager? Um, it's kind of hard to describe, only because every day is never the same. Um, right. But uh, I will say, like a lot of it is, you know, focusing on the programs that I'm working on. Like right now, a lot of my focus is on HGC Cheer, which is a program that we did last year for HGC, and we're doing it again this year with because uh, we're partnered with Twitch for that. Um, Mm -hmm. and focusing on the, the, that specific program, communicating with different teams of updates, uh, related to that or related to other initiatives that we're working on, uh, helping out, you know, from the Starcraft or hero side, like on their day to day as well, because sometimes they, you know, they may be completely busy. So I might deal with like a a specific instance, you know, for like league operations and stuff like that. I also work very closely with, um, our team orgs. Uh, and the ownership behind those team orgs, like Team Fanatic and Team Liquid and so forth. I work really closely with those guys to make sure that they're fully informed of what's going on with the program, what's up and coming, what we need from them, what we can do for them, things like that. Um, and uh, just working really closely with like a lot of our international teams as well, because like like before, the, one of the Blizzard core values was um, think globally. And so like my morning will usually start off at like, like 9 a.m. or something with a call with Europe because it's their tail end of the day. Uh, mm-hmm. And then uh, it will end at the end of the day with like a call with Korea because it's the beginning of their day. So, <laughs> so it's always, you get to touch so many different facets and like work with so many different people. It's very collaborative. And yeah, it's just a lot of different stuff. It's never really, really the same. Um, but thankfully, you get to work and learn so many new things while you're doing it because because of that because it isn't the same uh, it definitely sounds like it's just it's constantly a rewarding experience when you go in and there's always kind of just something exciting that's on the docket and you know regardless of whether it's talking to someone new or or it's it's going back and you know kind of just marinating on something else that you know of course I don't know what you guys talk about in, in uh, detail, but just it just sounds like it's just every day you come in, there's just always some sort of new interesting event or topic or something that, that needs handling, but it's done so in a way that just, I, I imagine like every day you come home, you're just, you, you come home feeling satisfied. You just, you come home just like, wow, that, like that was a, that was a cool day. Yeah. Yeah. Most <laughs> definitely. Like you, you come home feeling, feeling satisfied or exhausted, uh, but the uh, yeah. Uh, but it's it, it's. I think it's always the satisfying feeling because of the things you accomplish or um, the things you've you're you're almost keying up to do over the next couple of days or next couple of weeks, um, and that's. I think that's like the greatest part about it is like there's always something big going on, 
and mm. everyone's hands are always you know there to to kind of help it and like make it the best possible thing. Um, and I think that's like the the best part about it. Like the the teamwork and the collaboration is so big. Um, and I think that's how I've always enjoyed working with teams and working with people is doing it through collaboration as opposed to one person taking it off into a corner and then three weeks later coming back with like, this is the plan and this is what we're doing. No questions asked. Like I, I love the fact that we all are just like all, all hands on deck and always working on everything together. Now it's time for more of a fun question. What are some of your all-time favorite games? All-time favorite game. So my all-time favorite game is Warcraft 2, um, like I mentioned beforehand. Uh, funny enough, I actually think Warcraft 2 has more strategy than a lot of other RTS games that even came out afterwards. A lot of people mm-hmm. go like, oh, but you can only select six units at a time and move them. And it's like very old school and archaic and everything. And yeah, it does have those limitations of like, because it is so old that it's harder to like do things that we've become so accustomed to of like selecting 36 units at once and moving them around and things like that. But there's a there's a weird way of being it like that professional players played Warcraft 2 where um, you could actually like wall your your whole entire base in with just buildings and then the opponent, would have to either, if they were trying to break through that wall or something like that, would have like a multitude of strategies of doing so. And one of them included actually taking like peons and peasants because in in Warcraft 2, um, there was a building structure called just a wall. No one ever made walls. It was like, why the hell would you make walls when you can use your buildings as actual walls that have way, way more health? But True. you could actually force your peon or peasant to be stuck in a space, and then when they build a wall, they essentially turn into that wall, and you can cancel the wall and actually hop into their base with the peon or peasant, um, and pa- and bypass the wall completely, and suddenly you have a builder inside their base, which is like just throws everything into chaos for the opponent. And like there's ways of being able to do that in specific instances and specific um, uh, places that just change the whole entire game's meta of like. Oh, if I'm at if I'm at six o'clock on the on Garden of War, like I know that there are like three different possible places where he could like literally wall hop over <laughs> into my base, and then suddenly he's building a barracks in my base, and I'm gonna die, like because he'll just suddenly have units in my base. So mm-hmm. it's like there's so many cool like strategies and so forth involved, and every like every Warcraft two was slightly imbalanced, and in, in fact, in, in relation to the idea that. Um, Orc scaled uh, way higher at later, like late stages of the game, because they had bloodlust, and bloodlust was like the most like insane skill in the whole entire world. Uh, while humans only got uh, heal on their paladins, and heal was not nearly as good as as bloodlust. But there were ways to get around it as a human, uh, because their mages were stronger than death knights, and so on and so forth. And a lot of people just don't understand these nuances. Uh, and once you do, you start to realize like you have to work around those specific nuances and it ends up becoming a much more strategic game, uh, than mm-hmm. a lot of people think. So Warcraft two to me is by far my most favorite game in the whole entire world. Plus it's the thing that it's the catalyst that really drove me to get into the industry. Um, my other favorite games, um, it's going to sound like I'm just falling down like a blizzard pathway, but I'm not, I'll just get, through, <laughs> I'll, just get I'll just get the blizzard stuff out of the way. Then I'll talk about the other, my other favorite games, but other favorite games, Starcraft. Starcraft One is like, oh yeah, I loved it to death. I remember when it came out. 
I didn't even know about it. I remember I was on, it was like, what was I? I was like ninth grade or something like that. I was sitting on a school bus and my friend comes over and he just goes like, oh, have you heard Blizzard released a new game? It's called Starcraft. I was like, what the hell are you talking about? I was like, sounds stupid because I was really into Warcraft at the time. I was like, Uh I don't really care about spaceships and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, I just want Warcraft. And then he explained it to me and he's like, there's three races and it blew my mind. And he was like, (laughs) he was like, oh, and you have to like get minerals and you have to get Vespine gas and the gas, like the gas will eventually deplete, but it doesn't blow up like a gold mine, like in Warcraft two. It just like, it still allows you to mine gas, but you get a much like lower amount now. And I was like, whoa, that's the craziest thing in the whole entire world. I'm like, why would they do that? And stuff like that. And it was just seeing, um, and, and finally playing it and everything like that. I was just completely blown away. The three races thing was like the craziest thing for me. Um, and seeing the, how diverse the races were because in like Warcraft, they were almost like similar to each other, a grunt and a footman, a sapper and a, a gnome, uh, bombing squad. Uh, you know, it, it like, a, a, a gnome flying machine and a Zeppelin. They were almost <laughs> identical and in, in like, and matched each other back to back. But then, Suddenly you have like, oh, a Hydralis and a Dragoon, but a Dragoon has shields and attacks slower and a Hydralis has like, you know, attacks faster or like Zerglings. You can spawn two at once as opposed to a Zealot or a Marine where you can only build one. I was like, what the hell is this? This is crazy. Um, Mm -hmm. So StarCraft like blew my mind and is by far one of my most favorite games. And it's crazy because now I'm working on the franchise. Um, And then uh, obviously like World World of Warcraft uh, was huge for me. It ate up a huge chunk of my life. The Warcraft lore and the universe is by far my favorite of any game in existence. Uh, Diablo 2 was huge for me as well. That destroyed my first year of college terribly. Um, I remember the expansion for uh, 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 Diablo came out and I actually, or Diablo 2 came out and I had no idea until like two nights beforehand because I just didn't keep up with gaming news back then. And uh, everyone like I remember being on Battle.net and they show everyone's little character profile or characters on the the bottom of Battle.net and Diablo 2 so you can see like oh that guy's playing a paladin that guy's playing that's what his paladin looks like and that guy's playing a barbarian that's what his pal- barbarian looks like and then I saw like an assassin on there it's like who the hell is that I was like is that a GM I was like oh my god <laughs> this is crazy and then and then I saw a druid and I was like the hell is this and I immediately started like messaging these people and they're like, oh yeah, it came out at midnight, should be out like, like, like I picked mine up at like midnight or something because the store was selling it. And I immediately drove to a Best Buy and was like, what the hell? And like there was people in line and I grabbed a copy of it and I got home and I like immediately made a druid. I was like, this is the greatest thing in the whole entire world. Uh, I was like, there's another, there's an Act 5. I was like, what the hell? Uh, but the, like I love Diablo 2. Um, and then, and I still love like things like Warcraft three and stuff like that. And I played those like stupid amounts, but those were the ones mm-hmm. that most definitely reflected off me for Blizzard. In terms of other games, um, Street Fighter four, like I put in a stupid amount of hours into Street Fighter four. I'm really big into Street Fighter. I love the FGC community and esports in general. I com- I go to Evo every single year. I usually compete at Evo. This past year, I did not compete at Evo because I was working for Twitch and Capcom and Warner Brothers, who had um, Injustice there, and uh, Nintendo, who had Smash there. They were all my partners, and they were all at Evo, so I couldn't actually compete. Uh, I had to be there for work. 
Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. Uh, so it was like the first time in years that I hadn't competed at Evo, but um, it is like Street Fighter is just something I've always loved. And Street Fighter 4 is my favorite Street Fighter uh, game of all time. And I've put in, I don't know, thousands of hours into it. Um, <laughs> and then uh, Final Fantasy 4. Uh, would probably be my my next game. Um, Final I, Fantasy Four, really? Yeah, yeah. It was it was the first JRPG I had ever played, and I played with okay. like my best friend when I was in maybe like second or third grade, and we sucked at the game. Like we would just like not level up properly or not put on the right gear because we just didn't understand it completely. But it was like a challenge that we kept overcoming and overcoming. We would get past a specific boss, and we would like pull his mom to the side and be like, Oh my God, we did it. And she'd be like, I give two shits about this. And but it was just like, <laughs> but it was just so cool to, to be able to have that, um, uh, that experience and like being able to play. I, I think final fantasy four is better than the other final fantasies because that the story was really good. And this is the one with like, um, Cecil and Kane and, and Rose and stuff like that. And had the twins, Palum and Porum and whatnot. And, um, I think the 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 story was really good, and it's one of the only Final Fantasies with a five person party. Uh, and ever since then, they've been kind of reducing how many people you can have in your party. Now it's like three people each and stuff like that. And I actually hate that. I hate that I can't have this wide, diverse group of people that I can like play in a party. And I understand they reduce it because they're like, oh, maybe it's more strategic like decisions you need to make and stuff like that. But I'm just like, that's like it, it's more boring to me in that way. And each each character had their own specific specialty. Like Cecil was a Dark Knight, then he eventually turned into a Paladin. Um, I think it was like Rydia or something like that was a a a caller, and then she eventually turned into a Summoner, which was able to bring in like larger and bigger enemies and stuff like that. And her she like appeared in the story out of nowhere after not seeing her for like like a good 10 hours of gameplay. She's suddenly an adult and you're like, Oh my God, this is crazy. And she's saving the party and stuff like that. Uh, like Rose was a white mage and then you had Kane as the dragoon. And then you had Yang as the karate master. And then, and just everyone had their own roles and it wasn't like a job class system. Like where I think it was final fantasy five incorporated. Um, mm-hmm. and like even tactics had and stuff like that, but everyone had their own job. So you just knew what to expect. And it was just, and there was like 20 different characters and they would eventually all be in your party in some sort of way. And then towards the end of the game, you can swap characters out and things like that. It, it was, it was really, really cool. Like, or actually you couldn't swap characters out in the original final fantasy four. You could in the updated version of final fantasy four, but still it was, it was actually, it was just awesome to see. Um, it was inspiring for me, uh, as a kid to like really just get into video games. Um, and then Warcraft 2 was the thing that was like inspiring for me to get to develop video games or to be part of that process. Um, but yeah, those are probably my favorite games. Now, have you have you stuck with Final Fantasy at all past Final Fantasy 4? Or did you just, that was kind of like the, the one that was like the big one and then you just kind of no, I most faded definitely, away? Most definitely played other Final Fantasy. So Final Fantasy 5 wasn't released uh, in the U.S. until it eventually came back out into the U.S., uh, uh, like on PlayStation 1 and stuff like that. Um, so I never really played Final Fantasy V until later on, and that's the one with the job class system and everything. And it was good. It, was, it, it wasn't... 
I thought Final Fantasy IV actually looked better, funny enough, which was really weird mm-hmm. to say. Um, but um, uh, it wasn't like a, a big favorite of mine. Final Fantasy VI was fantastic. That is by far my second favorite Final Fantasy. It, it that game I put a crap ton of hours to. Like I wouldn't. I would almost say I put in as many hours as Final Fantasy IV. <laughs> into Final Fantasy VI, just because it was massive. <laughs> the game was absolutely massive, um, and you could swap characters out, and there's so many different characters in that game, and every character can learn every single skill in that game, so it just had this longevity to it where you wanted to be a completionist and have everyone like at its their their peak uh, level along with every single um, magic skill and so forth. Um, Final Fantasy VII I played as well. That's the one that everyone loves. I just didn't like the whole tech like steampunk type, almost type of feel to it like futuristic tech with like shinra and everything i thought mm-hmm. that sephiroth was like a stupid lame enemy i'm like all right that's great i thought cloud looked cool because he had a giant sword but i hated how they went to three person parties um i thought the materia system was okay um kind of was kind of disappointing final fantasy 8 is the one of the most disappointing final fantasies for me um because you had to draw magic from enemies it's like oh i ran out of fires time to like draw go find an enemy to draw fires from because only that enemy holds fires and he's only going to give me like three of them i was like that's the dumbest thing i've ever heard in my life i i I still think it is like i'm like oh i hate it so much um it's like because i would run out of like freaking magic in a in the middle of a fight because i didn't draw enough or something like that and magic didn't feel like it was as important and magic is like one of my favorite aspects of Final Fantasy. Um, I also didn't like the characters, like Squall. Like, Gunblades are cool, I guess, but, like, Squall was, like, the most interesting dude in the world. He's wearing a leather jacket with fur on it, and I was like, whoop-de-doo. I like his name, though. I always liked Squall. Squall Squall was a good name. It was just, like, I don't know. I just didn't like it. All their other characters were kind of kind of lame um zell was like maybe the only cool one because he like punched people and had tattoos and i was like ah he's kind of like a rebel and stuff like that but and then final fantasy 9 i loved it went back to the old school roots it had vv who had like the little black magic uh sorcerer magician dude and that looked like he was a a black uh black magician from or black wizard from uh like final fantasy 1 uh, and then they all had like that classic look and stuff like that. Even Steiner, who was the the knight, had like armor that didn't fully fit him, and and but he was, and he was a little pudgy and stuff like that. But he was he looked almost cartoonish in, in in a way. But like it matched kind of like what you would expect, uh, like a Final Fantasy one would look like if you kind of just made him bigger and turned him into three D models and stuff like that. And Zidane, who was the the main character, had the tail. What you could learn every single um, spell in that game. Uh, the, the the game was gorgeous. The story was really good. Uh, I really enjoyed it. Final Fantasy X, I also really enjoyed. Um, I didn't enjoy it as much as, like... Actually, th- I thought it like was kind of on par with, like, 7 in terms of enjoyment. But, like, the characters were better. And I thought the, the skills looked cool and stuff like that. 11, I did play, which was the MMO. Um, I hated it at first. Then I came, went back to play it. And I actually kind of liked it. It's a little, little grindy. Um... 12, I hated. 13, I hated. <laughs> uh, 14, the well, M- 14. 14, the MMO, when it first came out, was not good. The UI was very slow, and they even admitted it. And then they actually did a whole reboot for it. And now, apparently, it's really good. And I always watch gameplay of it, and it looks fantastic. Um, and I have friends that work on it now. And I'm like, I like, 
I, everything I've seen from it, it looks awesome. So I might actually get back into it and try it out. Um, and then 15 just came out. I haven't played it, but I know it's like the boys club, like pushing around the car and like driving it around in like a countryside and getting to like big cities and stuff like that. The gameplay actually does look really cool. I just did, I, I kind of fell out of Final Fantasies after they got rid of the turn-based system. Um, mm. I, I still think Final Fantasies with turn-based systems are way better. The fact that now it's dynamic where I'm running around the map and my guys aren't just sitting off to the side or something like that and, we're all, and you're doing specific like tactical choices of like what, what skills to use. Like, I don't know, it just kind of drifted off on me. So I haven't really played too many, too much, or I haven't really deep-dived into the, the Final Fantasies since then. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah. So I have played all the Final Fantasy, or I have like at least played most of the Final Fantasies with the exception of like the I was going to say, you, you have a whole lot of knowledge regarding the Final Fantasy series. I, I You were bringing up names. I'm like, oh yeah, I forgot about that character. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's pretty, uh, that's pretty awesome. Now, I know obviously you can't divulge too much into this, but I'm just curious, are there any big announcements coming up from Blizzard in terms of uh, what we can expect from esports or just announcements in general. I know E3 is around the corner. Is there any kind of little hints or nuggets you can bestow upon us? Unfortunately, no. <laughs> um, no <I laughs> that would be a resounding no. Uh, no, I can't. Um, and at the same time, like, um, like I'm only aware of like the stuff that I end up working on for the most part. Like, it's. I mean, we keep each other all informed of all the the things that we work on, but it's those are things that we just can't talk about. So. Yeah, no, I fig- I figured I would ask just to be sure, just because I know the listeners are going to be like, dude, why, why didn't you ask that question? So, yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. I satisfied that. Are you happy out there? <laughs> <laughs> um, final question, fun question. Are you still a Dallas Stars fan? I am. In fact, I'm staring at like three different pieces from like three different Dallas Stars things like right above my desk. I have like this little plaque that's a, a, a Dallas Stars season ticket holder. It's got my name on it and everything. Uh, I've got like a custom jersey nameplate that says Dallas Stars on the, or that, that's Dallas Stars thing. So it's got Fletcher on the the back of it. I've got Jamie Ben autograph thing right next to me. I am still a huge Dallas Stars fan though, um, and I kept my season tickets up uh, when I lived in Vancouver and when I lived in San Francisco and even when I lived down here. But this is the first year where I did not renew, only because oh. um, it's just really hard for me to. I, I always forget to sell my tickets. And put them, put them up for sale, or um, uh, or even give them to friends. So mm-hmm. I was like, you know what? Like, why am I spending the money to when I keep forgetting? And I end up losing money, and I only see like maybe like like three to four games a whole entire season when like when I'm visiting family and stuff like that. So uh, I ended up not renewing my season tickets. So it's like the first time in eight years that I haven't renewed, and then. Uh, and then I was a season ticket holder for like two years back in like 06, 07, 07, 08. And then there was a gap in between because I ended up, uh, uh, I was protesting the fact that we had like no owner because our old owner like went into bankruptcy and essentially we were owned by like 19 banks or something like that, or the Dow stars were. So I was like mm. really pissed off by that whole entire process. So I refused to renew my season tickets until they like figured out that whole entire situation I finally did and I ended up renewing or ended up uh, signing up for new ones and so forth. But uh, yeah, so big stars fan still am. I, I'm wearing a stars wristband right now. Like I'm, uh, <laughs> uh, That's so cool. Yeah. So I, I, I try to watch them all the time. They're not in the playoffs this year. They have this huge tank 
in like the last, I would say, um, three to four weeks of the season where they were like clearly in the playoffs and then they just fell apart. So, but yeah, I am a huge, huge, huge fan of stars. Have you been building awareness at Blizzard? Do the good folks at Blizzard know how much, how big of a fan you are? Uh, yeah, they do. Uh, we went to um, the Stars visited the Anaheim Ducks about. Well, they did like the last week of the season, but we didn't go to that game. But they uh, about like a month and a half ago or so, and um, I bought everyone's tickets. I bought like nine wow. tickets or something like that, and we all went. And I put Stars jerseys on pretty much every single person there because they weren't attached to Anaheim <laughs> either. They're like, oh, uh-huh. like some of them were like, oh yeah, I've, like most of the people like didn't grow up in like the SoCal area, and mm-hmm. and at the same time, like they're like, all right, you're covering the ticket, so yeah, I'll just wear the Stars jersey and stuff. And so we were like a row of Stars fans essentially uh, in nice. Anaheim, and we, uh, yeah, like they were even yelling for the Stars and whatnot and stuff like that. So. It was actually really, really cool. Um, uh, but yeah, they totally know that I'm a huge, huge fan. And there's other fans, too, in the office of other teams. Like there's a guy, um, uh, uh, Kyle, who's our eSports coordinator for Heroes. And then uh, there's a guy who sits next to me, uh, or right across from me, named uh, Mark Mastio, who's the uh, associate eSports project manager for StarCraft. He is a big Chicago fan. Kyle's a big Boston fan. And I'm a Dallas fan. So we always talk about hockey, and then I have like one of those Bud Light, Budweiser goal lights, uh, where it actually syncs to Wi-Fi, and it knows like when a team is scoring in in real life, like in, and it, it will update like in real time, uh, and it will actually the goal light will go off, uh, and it will play the goal horn of your of that specific arena that mm-hmm. uh, your team is from. So I actually have it set to the Dallas Stars, the Boston Bruins, and the Chicago Blackhawks. So whenever they're playing and they score score a goal, like it'll actually go off like in real time. So um, that's awesome. Yeah. Well, Adam, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us. So thank you for dedicating a portion of your Saturday to the show. No, I'm I'm, I'm stoked that it finally like worked out. It was a lot of fun. So yeah, I really appreciate you having me on. Yeah, absolutely. Maybe in, in the the future, if, uh, who knows if there are some some big announcements that come through. I for one would love to just have you come back on and maybe talk to some things if you're available in the future. I think it'd be a lot of fun too. So yeah, we'll, just, we'll have to see how it goes. Yeah, most definitely. Sounds good. That wraps up this episode of Joygasm. Make sure you tune in next week for our review of the Avengers Infinity War movie. Thanks for hanging out with us. If you enjoyed this episode, we invite you to check out patreon.com slash joygasm and pledge $1 a month for exclusive access to the show. Also, you can follow us on social media and YouTube. Just do a search for Joygasm TV. In addition to iTunes and Android, you can listen to our podcast on TuneIn Radio, Stitcher, and SoundCloud.com slash joygasm TV. Last but certainly not least, search Joygasm TV on Twitch to see us stream our gaming adventures live every Wednesday night at 9.30 p.m. Central Time. We'll see you next time.